Well, for a few weeks after Easter, we have been looking at what happened next. The death of Jesus clearly was not the end of the story. Christians believe there was a resurrection. Christ had risen. The tomb was empty. And then after spending some 40 days when he appeared at various times in various places to the disciples, and when Jesus spoke to them about the kingdom of God, there was the ascension when he left them, making clear that, that they were to be the body of Christ. They were to be Christ's agents, Christ's people in the world. But he wasn't leaving them alone. No, no, he had promised the Holy Spirit. And a bit later at the day of Pentecost, that promise was fulfilled when the Spirit came upon Jesus' followers, and the Spirit today is still with Jesus' followers. You cannot be a Christian but have the Holy Spirit. But also, as well as the promise that the Spirit would come, Jesus gave these followers another promise that He Himself in person would come again nor as a babe born at Bethlehem, but come as, as the Lord of time, come as the sovereign Lord over history. He would come in glory and judge the living and the dead. Stuff that's not always terribly easy to take in. And when we look in the Gospels at Jesus' work with His disciples, we, we see that quite often they didn't get it either. There were times they didn't understand, and they asked questions, and that's to their credit. Asking questions is a good thing. It's not a matter of sin or unbelief to be not sure and to ask a question, and the, the disciples show us that. And, and in Thessalonica, where this le letter had been written by the Apostle Paul, the church there, well, they didn't know everything either. It was a growing church, and they were showing qualities and characteristics of the Christian life in the way that they were living. And they'd stood firm against persecution, and in fact were growing stronger despite it. Paul was delighted to hear how this young group of believers, and when I say they were a young group of believers, I mean they were only believers for a short, a young time. We have no idea how young or old they were by age, but they were a group of new believers, and Paul was so delighted that they were showing the life of Christ and the way that they lived and standing firm against the persecution. But quite rightly and quite naturally, they had some questions about things. And Paul answers some of these in his letters, including in the letter, including in the passage that we've just read. In the section in chapter 4 at verses 13 to 18, they had questions about the believers who had died. Now, that was because um, some of the church in Thessalonica, and indeed many of the Christians who had become Christians shortly after Jesus' time on earth, they believed that that promise about Jesus coming again was going to happen soon, like next week or next month soon. I suppose that was quite a natural enough thought. Jesus had promised the gift of the Holy Spirit after His ascension. That came quite, quite quickly um, after Jesus had ascended, some 10 days or so. And the, the disciples then probably thought that that coming of Jesus might well be a matter of days or weeks or months. But time was going on, and Jesus hadn't yet come back. And some of the early believers in that time had died. And so the folk in the church were a bit worried about this. They believed that Christ was going to come again. When Christ came again, all, his, all the believers would be gathered up to meet Jesus. But what about the guys that died last Tuesday or the Thursday before that? Or 
are they going to miss out? Have they, have they blown it? What's going to happen to these guys? Now, their problem was due to their having wrong ideas or wrong expectations. For Jesus and then the Apostle Paul hadn't said necessarily that Jesus' coming would be soon in terms of weeks and months, but had said that it would be sudden. Everything was in place, and so he might come at any time. And therefore, the believers should be prepared at all times. So Paul doesn't want them to be uninformed, verse 13. And so he sets out a short creed, verse 14, and underlines, verse 15, that that's the Lord's teaching. And the creed that he sets out is really in three parts. Firstly, that Jesus himself had died and had risen. And the second, related to the Christians who had died, God will raise them, Paul says, just as he raised Jesus from death. And when Christ returns, it doesn't mean that those who have died recently are being forgotten, not at all. Christ will bring them into the new heaven and the new earth. And then thirdly, the Christians who are still alive at the time who Jesus comes, they will not precede those who have died, but rather they will be brought after them into the kingdom of God to join them all as one family of God. And so all of Christ's people are to be gathered in and with him when he returns. And Paul wrote these words for their encouragement, verse 18. Not even death was going to be able to separate us from the love of God. Death did not mean missing out. Now, that didn't mean that there was no place for grief. Jesus himself had wept at the graveside of his friend Lazarus, John chapter 11. And in verse 13, Paul doesn't say to them, don't grieve, but he says, don't grieve like the rest of humanity who have no hope. Of course, when we experience bereavement, we suffer loss. But it's not the loss that those who do not have any hope, those who have died in the care of Jesus are safe in him. They are not losing out. We experience death as our bereavement as a loss for ourselves, but those who die in Christ have not lost anything. Indeed, they have gained. Weep for yourselves, if you will, says the apostle. But God does not want or imagine that we will be indifferent to the hurts and the losses of the world. But do not weep for those who have died in Christ. They have gained. So that has led him on to speaking about this return of Christ, having assured the church that just because it hasn't happened next last week doesn't mean it's not coming. And in verses 1 to 11 of chapter 5, he goes on to deal a bit more with the return of Christ. What he said in reply to those wondering about those who have died and whether they would receive salvation raised more questions about Jesus' return. When's that going to happen, they might ask. And we might ask as well, it seems to us to have been an awfully long time. When's Jesus coming back, we might ask, just as kids in the back seat of cars down through the years have said, are we nearly there yet? We have different perspectives on what is a short or what is a long time. And too often people have thought that they'd be able to work out when Jesus was going to be coming back. And up until now, they've always been wrong. But that doesn't mean it's not going to happen. 
The promise that we read a couple of weeks ago in Acts chapter 1 and that we began our service this morning, that, that, that promise about Christ coming again is made often in Scripture. And just because it's taken longer than some people were expecting doesn't mean that Jesus has got some trouble finding his way here. Jesus himself has promised that he would return at the end of a time, that he would indeed return to judge everyone, that he would usher in the kingdom of God, that he would bring into being the new heavens and the new earth. And the very same Jesus who, when he was walking around Galilee with his disciples and, and promised to them about and told them about his death and resurrection that would come when he got to Jerusalem, that very same Jesus is the one who said that he would return in glory. And he kept the promises, did he not, about his death and about his resurrection, incredible as they would have seemed at the time. And so on what basis... Will any of us say that Jesus might have been correct in anticipating his death by crucifixion and in anticipating his resurrection, but coming again would be a stretch too far? If we can trust Jesus for keeping his words in these other ones, surely we can trust him for his word about coming again. But the coming, we're told, verse 2, will be sudden like a thief in the night. And so the issue for us is not really, is Jesus coming today, or is Jesus coming tomorrow, or is Jesus coming next week, or next month, or next decade? No, the issue for us is not any of these, but how shall we live in the meantime? Given that this life is not all that there is, given that the kingdom of God is coming, given that we're called to live in the light of that kingdom, what then are we to do and what are we to be like? The apostle says we are to live sitting loose to the attractions of this world, investing our lives rather in the coming kingdom, for a kingdom that is going to last and that will not fade away or be destroyed. We are to live, verse 8 of chapter uh, 5, as people of faith and love. We are to live as people, verse 8, who live with hope, because this life here is not all that there is. In fact, it's not even the best bit, better is to come. And to ignore that reality, to ignore that the king is coming and that the judge of the world is coming, is what the apostle means in these verses by sleeping. Now, it might strike us as a wee bit strange that he describes the ungodly life as sleeping, verse 6, so often that we, it seems to us it might be the, the opposite of that. It's going out, it's, it's having a good time, it's the razzmatazz of, of life, but it's sleeping in the sense that those who discount Jesus' return, that those who discount Jesus' judgment are kind of like asleep to the real realities of what's going on around them. They're like people who are continuing to party on board the Titanic after it's hit the iceberg. The damage is done. The situation means that much as you like dancing, it's not the best thing to be getting on with at the moment in the circumstances. In the same way, we are not to live lives that are about selfishness, material gain, getting ahead of the next guy, pursuing our own personal agendas no matter what. 
We are to live as people of faith, hope, and love, because Christ is coming again. Christ will judge. Sometimes we, maybe if somebody's on a car journey there, driving along the road, and they begin to hear a noise that's coming from somewhere in the car, and it doesn't, doesn't sound too good. So they just turn the radio up a bit louder so that they don't hear it, so that they don't worry about it. Well, that's a bit like that, Paul's saying, verse 3. You know, they're saying peace and safety, but in fact, destruction is around the corner. And so it doesn't make the problem go away simply by ignoring it. It doesn't make the problem going away by denying it. It doesn't make the problem going away by trying to crowd it out with other things. And so so, no matter how much um, people get on with having big houses or big this or holiday this or holiday that, no matter how much people get on with acquiring this, acquiring that, getting paid a bit more and so on and so on and so on, it cannot cover up the reality that Christ is coming again and Christ will judge. And so we are to live not according to the world's dictates about materialism and consumerism and self-indulgence. Rather, we are to live according to the, the way of Christ.